calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash ancestor. November 9th, Orange Spiders. John stumbled a little, but Colding's strong arm held her up. Mr. Colding, I don't want to go to sleep. We have more work to do. Still not buying it, Colding said. Keep walking, kid. You're turning in. He led her down the mansion's hall. She, Roomcorp, and Tim had finished implantation. Every cow had a blastocyst in its uterus. Those blastocysts would soon implant into the uterine wall, forming an embryo and a placenta. After that, more of her coating would force the embryos to split and form monochorionic, monoamniotic twins. Mr. Feely called it the blue light special of genetics two for the price of one. Some might even split a third time, creating triplets. All of this, of course, assumed the immune response continued to accept the embryos as self. Movement. Over there, to her left. Jean looked fast. Nothing. Had that been a streak of orange? Jean, Colding said. Are you okay? She stared for a second, but there was nothing there. Yes, I am fine, Mr. Colding. They walked on. Colding was really her only friend, the only true friend she'd had since the government decided she was a seven-year-old genius. That's when they'd removed her from her home in the mountains, taken her away from her family, put her in special schools. It hadn't taken her long to show even more promise, outstepping her colleagues at the Chinese Academy of Sciences. At age 11, she published her first genetics paper. By age 13, she was speaking at conferences, and her face was all over the news as the poster child for China's scientific ascendance. Then, two things happened. First, she started to see the bad things. Second, she discovered computers. At first, those bad things were really just strange things. Shadows at the corners of her vision. Things that hid when she looked for them. The visions grew worse. Sometimes, they looked like little blue spiders. Sometimes, they looked like big orange spiders. Sometimes, they crawled on her. And sometimes, they bit her. Even when she showed people the marks on her arms, no one believed her. They gave her the drugs. Sometimes, that helped. Sometimes, it didn't. What almost always did help, though, was the computer. 
Jian was among the first people in the world to truly exploit computers for digitizing gene sequences to understand that the world of silicon and electrons could mimic the submicroscopic world of DNA. And when she was lost in the code, she saw nothing but the code. No spiders. Years had rolled on, some worse than others. Medicines changed. The spiders went away for a while, replaced by green long-toothed rats, but then the spiders came back and the rats stayed as well. When four-foot purple centipedes joined the spiders and the rats, that was the first time she tried to end it all. People stopped her, stopped her, and put her back to work. But it's hard to work when the spiders and rats and centipedes are biting you. Eventually, her bosses ceased asking her for work she couldn't complete. They left her alone to explore her computerized world of four letters, A, C, G, and T. Somewhere along the way, she wasn't sure when, she started producing papers again. Most focused on a theory of digitizing the entire mammalian genome, creating a virtual world that would show how species interconnect. There was no real commercial or medical benefit, so her bosses just let her write more papers. If nothing else, her genius showed the glory of the People's Party. And then one day, her bosses told her she was leaving. They'd sent her to Dante Paglione and Janata to work with Klaus Rumkorf. Keep playing with the computers, they told her. If this works, they will build statues of you. She started with the human experiments, putting her computer-created genomes inside the wombs of volunteers who really didn't know what was going on. John had known it was wrong, but when you can't sleep because there are a dozen hairy spiders crawling on your face, right and wrong don't matter all that much. Those experiments had ended badly. Some of the results were even worse than the spiders and rats and centipedes. John tried hard to forget those results. Then Dante hired Tim Feely and P.J. Colding. Colding made Janata stop the human experiments. He made Rumkorf prescribe new medicine for Jean. And the spiders went away. This is your room, Colding said. Do you like it? She touched the maroon wallpaper, feeling the texture of the velvet patterns. A plastic light fixture looked out of place on the high ceiling, as if another fixture had just been removed. A beautiful, wooden, four-post bed awaited her, its thick white comforter calling to her like a lover. Most important of all, of course, was another seven-monitor computer desk, just like the one in the C5, just like the one back on Baffin Island. Dante understood. He always made sure Jeanne could work no matter where she was. This used to be a hangout for the rich and famous, Golding said. That's what you'll be soon, rich and famous. Jeanne sighed as she crawled onto the mattress, marveling at the softness of the thick down comforter. She laid her head on the pillow. Colding pulled the comforter up around her shoulders. She looked up at Colding. You like Sarah, don't you? He opened his mouth, then closed it. Mr. Colding, she is very nice. You should date her. But I can't date, John. I mean, my wife died only... His voice trailed off. Over three years ago, John said, finishing his sentence for him. That's a long time, Mr. Colding. Three years, Colding said quietly, as if trying the words on for size. You go see Sarah right now. You go to her room. Talk. She waved him away and was already asleep before he made it out the door. 
November 9th. This is my weapon. This is my gun. A knock at her door. Sarah's pulse quickened. Maybe it was PJ. Peej. Come to give her a proper apology. She wanted to hate him, but riding with him in the Hummer had been a mistake. It made her remember why she'd wanted him in the first place two years ago. A glance at the clock showed 11.15 p.m. She quickly checked herself in the room's full-length mirror. According to Stephanie, Marilyn had been a frequent visitor to Black Manitou, always stayed in room 17, and had used this very mirror many times. But Marilyn probably hadn't had bags under her eyes, or worn a rumpled flight suit, or been all dirty and sweaty from a long flight. What did it matter? Sarah wasn't going to sleep with colding. She could control her hormones. Colding was a user, and that was that. She wasn't interested in his brown eyes, or the way he kissed. Knock it off, idiot. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, go fuck yourself. She took a deep breath, then walked to the door and opened it to see the leering face of Andy Crosswaite. Hiya, toots! Still want to confiscate my gun? Sarah felt a combination of revulsion and disappointment. Andy, it's time for bed. Exactly, he said, and started to slide through the half-open door. Sarah Pernam hadn't risen to the top of a man's world without learning a thing or three. She blocked the door with her body. The motion brought their two bodies together so close they could have kissed. Andy's leering smile widened. Yeah, he said. That's what I'm talking about. Last warning, Andy. You should walk away. He laughed in her face. Sarah brought her knee up fast, catching Andy square in the nuts. She could have done it much harder, but she only wanted to stun him a little, not put him in the infirmary. He let out a little woof and half doubled over. She put a hand on his head and pushed. He stumbled back two steps, enough for her to shut the door and lock it. She peeked through the peephole. Andy stared at the door. He wasn't leering anymore. Now he looked like someone who might bomb a government building for shits and giggles. Even through a locked door, Sarah felt a small flutter of fear. Then Andy stood and smiled. He knew she was looking. He turned and walked down the hallway right hand still on his testicles. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing 
to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. November 9th, Blue Light Special. Implantation plus zero days. As the Janata staff slept, the experimental creatures moved to the next stage. Inside each of the 50 cows, the implanted blastocysts had floated through the void of the uterus until they brushed softly against the uterine wall. At the contact point, cells rapidly changed into trophoblasts. The specialized trophoblast cells divided, penetrating the uterine wall almost like anchors diving into the soft seafloor. The process was common to all mammals, except no mammal, not even the smallest mouse, went through the process that fast. Trophoblasts linked up with the cow cells to begin creation of the placenta and also spread around the rest of the blastocyst to create the amniotic sac, a membrane that would surround the embryos and contain a fluid to protect its contents from shocks and bumps. Less than three hours after that delicate landing, another set of cells distanced itself from the trophoblast. This set of cells, the embryoblast, would become the ancestor itself. When the embryoblast separated, a piece of Jean's coating caused it to cleave in half. Inside the amniotic sacs, halves quickly started developing into individuals. Blue light special, two for the price of one. And the cow's immune systems? No response. Nothing at all. Once upon a time, a man named Roger Bannister shocked the world by running a mile in less than four minutes, a feat that experts had declared impossible. Jean's process was a biological equivalent of that feat, or would have been if Roger had run his mile in 30 seconds flat. Less than 24 hours after the enucleated egg first fused with the artificially created DNA, gastrulation occurred. In human pregnancies, gastrulation does not occur for two weeks. Gastrulation is a fancy word that means cells stop being copies of each other and start taking on the specialized functions of tissues and organs. From a ball of undifferentiated cells, three distinct cell layers form, the ectoderm, the endoderm, and the mesoderm. The mesoderm becomes the structure of the animal, including the muscles, bones, circulatory system, and the reproductive system. The endoderm eventually grows into the digestive and respiratory systems. The ectoderm generates skin and the neural system. That includes the brain. While all three layers combine to create an ancestor, the ectoderm would turn out to be the real troublemaker. November 10th, Rotted Squirrel. Implantation plus one day. Colding stood on the mansion's front steps, shivering in the early morning cold despite his thick-down parka. He checked his watch. Seventeen minutes after eight. Sarah stared at him. He tried to ignore her. Hey, Colding, she said. Unless that watch is some kind of Star Wars teleporter, it's not going to make Clayton get here any sooner. Star Trek had teleporters, not Star Wars. Oh, snap. Thank you for the nerd correction, fanboy. 
Give it a rest. Clayton's late, okay? She put both hands on her cheeks and affected an expression of shock. She looked out at the mansion's snow-covered front lawn and the long, curving driveway, both of which, of course, were completely empty. Looks like we're going to get all caught up in the morning commute traffic jam. We'll be late for the Trekkies convention. That biting, sarcastic tone. It was really starting to get on his nerves. Don't you have other shit to do, Pernam, or do I get another full day of your attitude? I cleared my calendar just for you, Peach. The nickname again. It made him remember her naked, remember the cool smoothness of her freckled skin. Over three years ago, Jean had said. That's a long time, Mr. Colding. No, this wasn't going to happen. Sarah clearly despised him, and with good reason. Sometimes Colding wondered if he'd cornered the market on finding things to feel guilty about, but this was right up there with the best of them. Look, Sarah, I... I'm not normally... Well, I don't normally act like that. With women. The way I did with you, I mean. You don't normally hump and dump? Uh, no. Oh, I see. Just with me, then. How nice it must be for all the other women you treat with respect and dignity. Colding started to say there aren't any other women, but he stopped. He was just sounding more and more like an idiot. The gurgle of a diesel engine saved him from further embarrassment. Sounded like a big truck. The trees past the curving driveway hit it from view for a few seconds. The sound grew a bit louder as the source cleared the trees and turned down the snow-covered drive. Sarah laughed and clapped. Colding looked at the strange vehicle, then at Sarah. What the fuck is that? That has to be the Nuge. How awesome! Colding stared at the thing rolling toward them. A lumbering, two-part vehicle painted white. White, with black zebra stripes. The front half looked like a four-door metal box set on top of short tank treads, with room inside for front and back bench seats. A stubby, down-slanting hood ended flat, with heavy headlights and a metal grate bumper. The roof had a hatch above the front passenger side, and a second above the entire rear seat. The rear section looked like a modified flatbed, riding on its own set of squat tank treads. In that flatbed was a small aerial lift with a man-sized white plastic bucket, also painted with zebra stripes, like the kind on telephone repair or utility trucks. When extended, the arm might lift the bucket as high as 20 feet. An articulated joint connected the front and back halves of the vehicle. Clayton drove down the curved driveway and stopped in front of the wide stone steps. He leaned out the open driver's side window and smiled at Sarah. Hiya, doll! He looked at Colding, and the smile faded. Let's go, eh? I ain't got all day. Clayton, Colding said. What the hell is this thing? It's a BB-206. Magnus bought it surplus off to Swede military. I use it to mow the landing strip, groom the snowmobile trails, and fix the phone lines when storms knock them down. Lot of ground to cover, eh? And most of that ground is either swampy, muddy, or covered in six feet of snow. And you call it Ted Nugent, why? Sarah raised her hand like a kid in school. She jumped up and down and waved her arm. Oh, oh, teacher, pick on me, pick on me. Miss Perenam, Clayton said, please answer for the class. It's called Ted Nugent because it can go down in the swamp, just like Fred Bear. Colding looked back and forth between them. Who is Fred Bear? 
What the hell are you people talking about? It's a song, Sarah said. It's a Michigan thing you wouldn't understand. Just get in. Sarah hopped into the back. Colding walked to the passenger's side seat and opened the door, pausing for a moment to run his hand over the black striped surface. The armor looked thick enough to stop small-caliber fire. So Magnus had a stinger, a platoon's worth of weapons, and a troop transport. Wonderful. Colding hopped in and shut the door. You're late, Clayton. I slept in. The benefits of youth. He put the vehicle in gear and pulled away from the mansion. You know, Clayton, Colding said, you can call me doll, too. I might blush, though. Ah, fuck ya. Listen, I'll take you up to the northwest coast, show you the snowmobile trails. They're mostly mud and swamp until everything freezes solid. Then I'll swing you around to North Point, and if you don't mind, Sven would like a word. Colding shrugged. Why not? He had to see the whole island anyway, even if it was freezing out. Colding started to roll up his window. Oh yeah, Clayton said. Mind leaving that down? I ran over a squirrel a couple of days ago. Didn't quite get all the guts out. It'll stink in here something fierce if you close it. How about that? Clayton actually asked nicely for something. No pissy tone this time. Maybe the old man was loosening up. Colding shrugged and rolled the window back down. They headed northwest. Much of the trail looked like an ancient road, now overgrown and pitted, some spots thick with two feet of black, stagnant water. The BV rolled through all of it. One swamp looked a good 20 feet deep in the middle, but the Nuge proved to be fully amphibious. It rolled into the water and floated, moving across the surface until the tank treads dug into the mud on the far side. One hell of a machine, really. Through the thick trees, Colding saw the occasional collapsed house. Snow clumped on moss-covered roofs, and a few even had saplings growing up through the angled remnants. Sarah leaned forward, preferring to look out the front window rather than the sides. Looks like a lot of people used to live here. Yeah, Clayton said. Some 40 years back, we had about 300 year-round residents. Mostly copper mining, but also summer people. Tourists. So what happened? We had an incident at the copper mine. 22 people died. This trail goes right by it. I'll show you. He cranked the nuge forward at a punishing 20 miles an hour. Branches scraped the vehicle's sides and roof, but Clayton effortlessly avoided the tree trunks. They popped out at a clearing near the island's high, rocky spine. Colding saw a small shed made of bone-dry wood, bleached almost white from decades of sun. Like a set from an old silent movie, a barely discernible sign had the word danger written on it in faded, paintbrush-scrawled letters. That's the old mine, Clayton said. Used to be tons of copper across the whole U.P., Boomtowns rivaled anything from the gold rush days out west. Spooky, Sarah said. Is that where the people died? Most of them, Clayton said. Those men are still in there, at least their bones. At night, when it's quiet, you can hear them calling for help. Colding would have mocked a woo-woo superstition like that, but Clayton's memories clearly ran deep to a place of pain, maybe also of fear. The cave-in kind of broke the town's heart, Clayton said. People moved away over the years. There was only about 50 of us left when Dante came in and bought everyone out. He kept me and Sven. James and Stephanie are new, brought in to manage a backup herd. Enough of this shit. I don't like this spot much. 
Clayton put the BV-206 in gear, and they drove back into the woods, the rough road jostling everyone inside. His mood seemed to lighten the farther they got from the mine. I think I smell squirrel guts, he said. Your window all the way down, Colding? Yeah, you can see it is. Clayton looked and nodded. Okay, eh? Well, keep it down. I'm a little cold, so I'm rolling mine up. You know us old guys can get chilly. He cranked the handle to raise his window, just as they broke out of the trees at the edge of a small farm. Colding recognized the barn with the roof shingles that spelled out Ballantyne. This was where the island's only working road started, or ended, depending on how you looked at it. Clayton stopped in Sven's driveway. He got out, then, inexplicably, stepped on the metal grate bumper and hauled himself on top of the vehicle. Colding looked up at the roof for a moment, then leaned out the passenger window to ask Clayton just what the hell he was doing. As he leaned out, he caught a blur of movement coming from the right. He turned in time to see a wide-eyed black shape flying through the air, teeth flashing inside a gaping mouth. The assaulting animal sailed cleanly through the open passenger window and hit Colding full speed, knocking him flat on the seat. A dog. A wet dog. Colding's adrenaline burst of panic dissipated as a tongue furiously licked at his face. He tried to push the dog away, but it dove at him as if its life depended on it. Despite the animal's loud whines of joy, Colding heard Clayton's loud, sandpaper laugh. Oh my God, Sarah said from the back seat. He's adorable. She's adorable, another man called out. Mookie, you get off that man and out of that car, eh? The wide-eyed, black-furred cattle dog managed one last sloppy lick, then turned and dove back out the window as gracefully as a leaping gazelle. What a little sweetheart, Sarah said. Colding sat up, using his jacket sleeve to wipe dog spit from his face. Oh, for crying out loud, I've been slimed. Sven Ballantyne walked up and stopped about five feet from the BV-206. Mookie sat next to him, head forward and big eyes wide open, as motionless as a statue except for the long-haired tail that swish-swished quietly in the snow. Clayton was still standing on the hood and still laughing. And then Colding smelled it. Oh, God, Sarah said from the back seat. Her laugh gave her words a staccato sound. What? Stinks! The horrible odor, it seemed, was coming from Colding's hands and clothes. His nose wrinkled involuntarily. You'll want to clean up, Sven said. Mookie found something dead this morning. She likes to roll and stuff like that. Sorry. Clayton's laugh came even louder. It's, uh, it's okay, Colding said. Jesus, this stinks. What the hell is this? Dead! Squirt! Roll! Clayton called out from the roof. His laugh had turned into a hysterical, wheezing cough. Gonna piss myself! That's why he was late! Found dead! Squirrel! Knew that damn dog would roll in it! Jump on you! So funny! Sorry, Sven said. Really sorry you stink so bad and all. Mookie has a knack for getting into trouble. She's a real pain in the ass. Colding noticed that despite Sven's words, his big hand was absently scratching the black dog's stinky head. Either Sven loved the dog unconditionally, or the old man couldn't smell a thing. Mookie looked up at Sven with blissful reverence. Colding banged on the inside of the BV's roof. 
Let's go! He managed to smile at Sven. Sven just nodded. Mookie's mouth opened and her tongue hung out the side, the big smile of a happy dog. Clayton climbed down. No sooner had his feet hit the ground than Mookie took off like a shot. Damn, that dog could move. Clayton slid through the driver's door with surprising agility, shutting the door just before the smelly dog could follow him in. Mookie jumped at the high window, showing amazing airtime. Her slobber streaked the glass. She barked and whined, desperate to say hello. Not today, you stinky girl, Clayton said, still chuckling lightly. I'll come see after your daddy gives you a bath, eh? Back to the mansion, Colding said. Clayton laughed some more, a sound that would have been infectious if Colding weren't the butt of the joke. What's the matter, doll? Clayton said. I thought you wanted to see the old town. Tomorrow, Colding said. You got me good, now give me back to the friggin' mansion so I can shower and burn these clothes. Clayton put the nuge in gear, then headed back down the road. When Colding stepped out of the vehicle and walked up the mansion's front steps, the old man was still laughing. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.